Hello, I'm Nick, and I'm one of the pastors here at APA, and uh, I just want to say, originally, uh, I was supposed to share uh, a couple of weeks ago, but my family was suffering through a bad stomach bug, so shout out to Pastor Dave for uh, filling in. He's walking away, not even listening, as I compliment him and thank him. It's a really good thing that he stepped in, because if he didn't, then I would have had to preach the sermon in like three different sections as I ran to the bathroom. Anyways... While I'm sad that I wasn't able to kick off this Advent series, it actually helped me avoid an internal conflict that I struggle with yearly. See, I was set to preach on December 3rd, right at the beginning of December. And during that time, I'm always wrestling with this important question. Should I be excited for Christmas? Or is it too early? Does anybody else struggle with that? Like, Figuring out when you should be excited for Christmas? No, nobody else. That's fine. I can tell you about my story then. Um, Believe it or not, I can actually pinpoint the exact moment that this struggle was birthed within me. I mean, as a kid, I was excited all year round. It was never too early to think about Christmas, to talk about Christmas, to sing about Christmas, and especially to be planning out Christmas presents. And yet, I rudely had this excitement robbed from me. Let me set the stage. It was September of 2010. A young, wide-eyed Nick was ready to enter the world of adulthood. I had just graduated from high school and had entered university. The future was bright, full of promise and excitement about what the world had in store for me. I picked my classes, I strapped on my backpack, and I set off on a grand new adventure. But little did I know that this adventure would change my experience of Christmas for the rest of my life. For one of the courses that I had chosen was choir. Now that doesn't seem too sinister to you, uh, but I promise you the impact was great. For at my school we had an annual Christmas concert. And the concert was such a big deal that preparation began months in advance the beginning of September, to be precise. And so I entered a horrible vortex of Christmas music in September. Now, at first, it didn't seem so bad. It was almost novel. I was given a chance to live out my childhood dream of dwelling on Christmas months in advance. But then September turned into October, and October turned into November. And then by the time December hit, I was sick of these Christmas songs, and a righteous anger would boil up inside of me if I ever heard a song of the Christmas variety. And this continued for four long, dreary, hopeless years. Now, my time at school wasn't actually that bad. In fact, they were amazing formative years in my life. But what I will say is that singing in choir had a lasting impact on my relationship with Christmas. To this day, I I struggle to consciously choose to enjoy Christmas songs. So much so that this November, I would come home from work and discover that Rachel and the kids were listening to Christmas music behind my back just to avoid the uh, conflict and confrontation about when Christmas music was appropriate. But now here we are, one week from Christmas. The Christmas season is upon us, and with it, Christmas music. And I don't have to worry about whether it's too early to think about Christmas. The Christmas season is here. Christmas Day is coming, and I'm thankful, thank you, Dave, that I didn't have to preach in such a tumultuous time for myself, because it would have been really hard to focus on all of you. Anyways, the Christmas season is one of anticipation. It's a season that we look toward with the hope of presence, the hope of seeing loved ones, or the hope of a good meal. 
And as Christians, we not only anticipate these things, but we anticipate the coming of Jesus. We anticipate all that he brings. That's what Advent is all about, reminding ourselves that Jesus brings hope, peace, joy, and love as we prepare to celebrate his birth. I hope that you've enjoyed this series so far as we've done a deep dive into what it looks like to hold hope in what is often a really messy season. What it looks like to hold hope when we aren't where we want to be. The idea of holding hope while in exile. And wrestling with the prophecy that Jesus brings not only peace but disturbance to our homes. That Jesus comes shaking things up. These are challenging topics to engage with, but I hope that you feel better equipped to intentionally ask these questions as we draw near to Christmas Day. And so today, as we begin, I want to start by asking a question. What are you longing for? Or phrased another way, what are you hoping for? Did something come to mind? Hold on to that thought because we're going to come back to it in a bit. But my guess is that if we went around the room right now uh, and voiced our hopes out loud, there would be hundreds of different answers, birthed from hundreds of different lives and experiences. But what I want to propose today is that when you break down these hopes, at their core, they are all a longing for home. Coincidentally, that's the title of our sermon series, Longing for Home. And here's the thing, there's an answer to this longing, and his name is Jesus. Now today, I want to begin by exploring the idea of longing. As I just mentioned, I believe that at their core, all longings are ultimately a form of hoping for home, and that the birth of Jesus can fulfill this hope. But at this point, that's a completely unsubstantiated statement. And I don't want you to just have to believe me because I'm a pastor and I have a microphone. That's, that's no way to live your life. And so I thought to explore this idea of longing and how it relates to the idea of home, I want to start with a case study where together we can systematically break down the hopes of a collection of people. And that sounds too academic and it's Christmas, uh, so I thought to add some Christmas flair to this uh, that we could uh, do something a little different and where we explore the hopes found in the classic nativity scene. Now this requires jumping around the Christmas story a bit as we explore what it is that the nativity characters were longing for. We'll look at Mary and Joseph, We'll look at the shepherds, we'll look at the wise men, and we'll even look at the animals. And we'll see how their different longings originate from the same place. A longing for home, a true home, a stable home. That's actually the title of my sermon, a stable home. Get it? Yeah, yeah? Stable because Jesus was born in a stable, stable because we all long for stability. Anyways, I don't usually share my sermon titles, but I was really proud of this one because I'm not good at wordplay. Um... Moving on. Anyways, (laughs) I thought that it would be helpful to have some sort of visual aid uh, to help us remember these important truths. And because I care about all of you so much, I created a nativity scene just for you today. Uh, I call it Pastor Nick's Nativity. Um, It's probably not quite big enough. We need a bigger screen. If anybody wants to donate $50,000, you could see this way better. But there's some angels. Those are me. Um, Anyways... You'll notice that the stable is currently looking pretty empty, and uh, that's on purpose. Uh, As we explore the different perspectives of the nativity scene, we'll start to fill in this picture. And so, to start, let's look at Joseph and Mary. Beautiful. Beautiful. (laughs) 
Look, I, I couldn't create the nativity scene all by myself. I needed to enlist the help of the staff that were around, and Pastor Chad and Pastor Peter were eager to be Mary and Joseph. So let's not make a big deal out of this. Again, this is to help, not to distract, okay? Keep that in mind. Now, if you have your Bibles, you can open up to Luke chapter 2, 1 to 6, and uh, it'll also be up on the screen for you. But we're going to start by looking at Mary and Joseph. At that time, the Roman Emperor Augustus decreed that a census should be taken throughout the Roman Empire. This was the first census taken when Quirinius was governor of Syria. All returned to their own ancestral towns to register for this census. And because Joseph was a, was a descendant of King David, he had to go to Bethlehem in Judea, David's ancient home. He traveled there from the village of Nazareth in Galilee. He took with him Mary, to whom he was engaged, who was now expecting a child. And while they were there, the time came for her baby to be born. Now, the Bible doesn't expressly state what they were longing for, Mary and Joseph. But I think if we put ourselves in Mary and Joseph's shoes for a moment, I think we can make a pretty educated guess. So imagine that you're engaged with a baby very much on the way and you're moving to a new place. Now, believe it or not, that isn't actually that hard for me to imagine because I've mostly lived that experience. In 2019, Rachel and I moved to Duncan, BC on Vancouver Island, and our first morning there, literally the first morning there, we found out that we were pregnant. Now, to clarify, we were married, not engaged, but still very much identifying with Mary and Joseph. Do you know what our top priority was as we settled into this new spot? It was ensuring that our baby was going to be safe. So we started looking for a doctor, because that's something that you should do. We also had to make sure that we had a manger for the baby to sleep in, all these important things. But it was hard because uh, we didn't have the support or a community to rely on as we navigated that stage of preparation. We kind of felt stranded and on our own. And so uh, Rachel started reading Google reviews for the local hospital. Now, let me give you a piece of advice. Do not let a pregnant woman read Google reviews of a hospital. I'm just going to say that again, because if there's one thing that you take from today, well, no, you should take some other things. Anyways, don't let a pregnant woman read hospital reviews on Google. Because here's the thing, who leaves Google, reviews on Google for hospitals? It's the people who have experienced horror stories. I mean, think about it. Have you ever had a really positive experience at the hospital and then thought, man, this hospital just saved my life? I need to write a Google review about this. No, you've never done that. I've never done that. Nobody else has ever done that. It's just the horror stories of people who are angry and need a space to vent. And so Rachel read the Google reviews and she got more and more concerned for the safety of our baby. And just to clarify, we had our baby, Liam, in that hospital. And we had an a fantastic experience with a careful and caring staff that loved us really, really well. Thinking back, did we write a Google review? I don't think we did. Probably should have done that. Anyways, all of that to say, I imagine that Mary and Joseph's primary concern is safety. Safety for Mary as she gives birth in a new community without a hospital. Safety for their baby as he enters the world in an unclean stable. And also safety for Joseph, as he explains to his fiancée that he didn't book a room in the inn in advance. See, Mary and Joseph were longing for safety, but I imagine that they were also longing for a sense of belonging. 
They're, they're having a baby out of wedlock. The implication is that Mary committed adultery since babies aren't usually conceived through the Holy Spirit. And for Mary, this would have meant at the very least ridicule and shame. It should have meant the end of all social ties. And according to the, the book of Deuteronomy, Mary should have been stoned to death. But because an angel spoke to Joseph, they continued with their union. This threatened being ostracized from society, being outsiders for the rest of their lives. Dave shared last week that there being no room in the inn probably actually meant that they were being turned away by family. So I imagine that deep in their hearts, they yearned to belong. So there's Mary and Joseph, longing for safety and belonging. Now what about the shepherds? Do we got shepherds? Oh, look at those beautiful shepherds. Dale, Peter, Sophia. I would trust my sheep with those people for sure. We're going to go to Luke 2, 8 to 16. That night there were shepherds staying in the fields nearby, guarding their flocks of sheep. Suddenly an angel of the Lord appeared among them, and the radiance of the Lord's glory surrounded them. They were terrified, but the angel reassured them. Don't be afraid, he said. I bring you good news that will bring great joy to all people. The Savior, yes, the Messiah, the Lord, has been born today in Bethlehem, the city of David. And you will recognize him by this sign. You will find a baby wrapped snugly in strips of cloth lying in a manger. Suddenly the angel was joined by a vast host of others, the armies of heaven, praising God and saying, Glory to God in the highest heaven, and peace on earth to those with whom God is pleased. When the angels had returned to heaven, the shepherds said to each other, Let's go to Bethlehem. Let's see this thing that has happened, which the Lord has told us about. They hurried to the village and found Mary and Joseph, and there was the baby lying in the manger. Okay, so let's put ourselves in the shoes of the shepherds. Where do they fit in society? Well, they fit right at the bottom, which is kind of funny when you think about it because it wasn't always like that in Israel. Shepherding used to be a noble profession. Psalm 23 calls God the good shepherd, and King David, Israel's greatest king, was a shepherd. And yet Israel is no longer a nomadic nation. They have established trades, cities, and agriculture. And as a result, the job of shepherding is left to the lowest of the low. They are seen as common thieves on the same social tier as tax collectors. They are shunned and excluded from common society. Now, if that was your story, what would you long for? I imagine that their deepest longing was to be included and to be accepted. And the angels offer them just that chance to be included in the greatest event in all of history, the coming of the Savior. And they leap at the chance. Let's go to Bethlehem. Let's see this thing that has happened. So we have the shepherds who long to be included and accepted. We have Mary and Joseph who long for safety and belonging. What about the wise men? We have some really regal wise men. Yeah, we've got Cheryl and Madison and Ch Chad again. Don't ask questions. It makes sense. I'm sure it. I'm sure it does. Well, in Matthew 2, we see the wise men arrive in Jerusalem asking, Where is the newborn king of the Jews? We saw his star as it rose, and we have come to worship him. Now they are told that the Messiah is to be born in Bethlehem and head out on their way. And the star they had seen in the east guided them to Bethlehem. It went ahead of them and stopped over the place where the child was. 
When they saw the star, they were filled with joy. They entered the house and saw the child with his mother, Mary, and they bowed down and worshipped him. They opened their treasure chests and gave him gifts of gold, frankincense, and myrrh. Now, lucky for us, we don't have to wonder about what the wise men were longing for. They straight up tell us. They hope to meet the newborn king so that they can worship him, so that they can bow down before him, and so that they can give him gifts. At the heart of this, I see the wise men searching for purpose. They long to see their study of the stars have purpose and meaning. They long to worship someone greater than they, and they long to use their possessions to bless. I get the impression that these wise men have everything they could ever need in life. I mean, they're rich, they have knowledge and wisdom, they're able to take really long impromptu vacations, and yet they are searching for meaning and purpose. So we've got the wise men who long for meaning and purpose. The shepherds long to be included and accepted. And Mary and Joseph long to be safe and to belong. Now what about the animals? This one's actually a, a tough one because the Bible doesn't tell us what animals were in the stable. So I had to do a little bit of guesswork. Uh, so we got a cow. Nice. Uh, we also have a donkey with moose antlers. Yeah, that makes sense. Uh, a kangaroo, yeah, we've got a nice kangaroo, and of course, we had to have a parrot, yeah. Again, this is very highly accurate because it, the Bible doesn't tell us who was there. Isn't this just the most beautiful nativity scene you've ever seen? Yeah? I need a little bit af more affirmation. Maybe a round of applause for Nick? Thanks. Anyways, <clears throat> back on track. Now, again, we don't actually know what animals were there, and so it's impossible for us to know what was on their minds, what they were hoping for. And I debated not even including this in the nativity case study for exactly that reason. But the more I thought about it, the more I felt challenged to think of what Jesus' coming meant for all of creation. God didn't just create human beings. He created everything, and he cares for everything. And I think sometimes we forget this. We get so fixated on ourselves that we forget that God cares for all of his creation. That includes the earth, the stars and moon, the land and sea, the plants and the animals. And so I wonder if the animals in that stable long to be close to their creator, to the one who loves them best. And I wonder if they longed for creation to be restored to its intended glory. Now the Apostle Paul actually backs me up on this in Romans 8, 19 to 22. He says this, for all creation is waiting eagerly for that future day when God will reveal who his children really are. Against its will, all creation was subjected to God's curse, but with eager hope, the creation looks forward to the day when it will join God's children in glorious freedom from death and decay. For we know that all creation has been groaning as in the pains of childbirth right up to the present time. Creation longs to be free from the curse, the cycle of death and decay. This is a deep longing, like the groaning of a woman giving birth, a longing for their true home to be restored to him. So we have the animals who long for restoration, the wise men long for meaning and purpose, the shepherds who long to be included and accepted, and Mary and Joseph who long to be safe and to belong. Now, there's one other entity that typically is included in nativity scenes, and that's baby Jesus. Funny enough, he was often actually missing in our family's nativity scene growing up, much to my mother's dismay. And it's not because we lost him. It 
just turns out that it's a lot of fun to come up with other objects to replace baby Jesus with. Lego men work really well, if you were wondering. And it also allows baby Jesus to go on all sorts of adventures. One year I set up a, a gondola that went from our upstairs balcony down to the Christmas tree. And I think baby Jesus really enjoyed the ride. Even, <laughs> even this uh, Friday, my, my son went and stayed with my parents and I looked at the nativity scene and Jesus was not there. He was having a great time somewhere else. So the tradition continues, even though I didn't prompt it. Anyways, what I wanted to say is that no one on staff volunteered to be baby Jesus, and Pastor Dave wasn't around, and I know that he loves being a part of all of our staff kinds of things, and so I photoshopped his face into the picture. I think it works pretty well. Donna, do you want to throw that one up there? See? So great. I hope you're okay with that, Dave. Yeah, you have to be at this point. Oops. If I'm not here after Christmas, you know why. Anyways. Now, all joking aside, this is where the rubber hits the road, because Jesus brings the fulfillment of our longings. I think the gospel that paints this picture the clearest is the gospel of John. It starts like this. In the beginning, the word already existed. The word was with God, and the word was God. He existed in the beginning with God. Now, the word is Jesus, and what John is making abundantly clear is that Jesus is God. Verses 3 to 5 go on to say that the word isn't some lesser God, but that Jesus is fully God. God created everything through him, and nothing was created except through him. The word gave life to everything that was created, and his life brought light to everyone. The light shines in the darkness, and the darkness can never extinguish it. Jesus is God. Jesus is the creator and sustainer of life. And not only that, but he holds power over the darkness. There is nothing that is outside of his control. Verse 14 then tells us why Jesus was born as a baby on earth. Why God himself chose to come down. So the word became human and made his home among us. He was full of unfailing love and faithfulness. And we have seen his glory, the glory of the father's one and only son. The word became human and made his home among us. Jesus' purpose was to make his home among us. This has incredible cosmic significance. Now, last week, Pastor Dave talked about the imagery of a sword and how its main purpose wasn't violence, but separation and division. And we looked back to Genesis 3 when God sent cherubim with a flaming sword to stand guard over the Garden of Eden to ensure that humanity was separated from God after becoming tainted by sin. Our home was no longer with God, and yet that's what we were created for, to be in right relationship with God. And so Jesus, God, making his home among us is a huge deal. Because the sword separating us from the Garden of Eden, the impact that sin, uh, of sin that kept us separate from God, all of it was coming undone. God, the creator of everything, the one who has power over everything, chose to make his home among us, to restore relationship with us, ultimately by sacrificing his very life for us. The result is that we get to know God. Verses 16 to 18 show us just how amazing this is. From his abundance, we have all received one gracious blessing after another. For the law was given through Moses, but God's unfailing love and faithfulness came through Jesus Christ. 
No one has ever seen God, but the unique one, who is himself God, is near to the Father's heart. He has revealed God to us. We get to know God. We get to experience his unfailing love, his faithfulness. And it's no longer some abstract concept or understanding. God's love and faithfulness is on display for us through Jesus. As we read through the Gospels, we get to see God at work in the midst of humanity. But it's not just something that's uh, of the distant past. Jesus gets rid of the dividing line between us and God, and so we too get to experience God's love and faithfulness. All we need to do is choose to believe that Jesus is who he says he is, that he is God, and that he came to save us. Now, to most of us, this isn't new information, but I think sometimes we forget that this is radical news, that, the, that has the ability to transform our lives, that this is the news uh, that we've been longing for. It's the answer that we long for, because it's an incredible opportunity for home. That's what Jesus offers when he makes his home among us. He offers an invitation for us to find our home with him, to make our home in him. And in that place, we find love, faithfulness, safety, protection, freedom, purpose, acceptance, and life to the fullest. Now, I could go on and on about just what this newfound home means for us because it changes everything. Jesus offers us the ultimate stable home. Now, we started this morning by doing a case study, looking at the hopes and longings of those in the nativity scene. And we did this case study to demonstrate how Jesus' coming fulfills all of those longings. So let's break it down just to make it abundantly clear. Joseph and Mary long for safety. Jesus' advent offers a promise of safety, that one day there will be no more sickness, death, or decay, and that God will be with us as we await that amazing day. Joseph and Mary don't need to read hospital Google reviews alone because God himself is with them. The hope for safety is fulfilled in Jesus. The shepherds long to be included and accepted. Mary and Joseph long for belonging. And Jesus' advent gives an opportunity for all people to be included, accepted, and to belong. No matter your age, gender, ethnicity, social status, everyone is extended the same opportunity to be with Jesus. Even if Joseph and Mary's family and community ignore them, they have a place with Jesus where they will always belong. And even if the shepherds are judged and mistreated, they are included and accepted by Jesus where again, they will always belong. The hope for inclusion, acceptance, and belonging is fulfilled in Jesus. And for the wise men, longing for meaning and purpose. Well, Jesus' advent grants meaning and purpose to those who follow him. Our purpose takes on eternal significance as we dedicate ourselves to seeing the kingdom of God break through here and now. No longer fixated on earthly things like wealth, influence, or wisdom, the wise men find real meaning and purpose as they worship God and use their wealth and wisdom to bless Jesus. The hope for meaning and purpose is fulfilled in Jesus. And the animals, all of creation, they're the ones longing for restoration. Well, let me tell you, Jesus' advent signifies that restoration is coming. God is actively making a way for creation to return to how it was intended to be. Evil, sickness, death, 
decay, darkness, all of these things will come undone. God is making his home, God making his home among us is the first step in seeing our world radically transformed. And this transformation, this restoration will one day be complete when Christ returns again. Can I get an amen? All of creation is given a taste of the restoration that they long for. But ultimately, the hope for restoration is fulfilled in Jesus. Now, at the very start of our time together, I asked you, what do you long for? Do you remember what it was that came to mind for you? I think this is actually an important practice, to voice our hopes and our longings. And there's a few reasons for this. First, if you don't voice your hopes, they are way less likely to happen. Now, for example, my grandma makes amazing butter tarts during the Christmas season. I have a hope that she'll make them and leave them in her freezer where I can easily liberate a few of them. But if Grandma McAllister doesn't know that I have that hope, it's probably not gonna happen. Now, I haven't voiced this to Grandma, but she's here, and I thought this might be a good opportunity. Grandma, I hope you were listening. Anyways, the second reason that it's important to voice our hopes and longings is that because if we don't voice them, we can very easily become unconsciously ruled by them. And it can lead to strained relationships. Maybe we're short with a friend because we hoped for more time with them. Maybe we exploded our kids because we longed for some peace and quiet. Maybe we start withdrawing from everyone around us because we hope to be appreciated, but instead we feel taken for granted. If we don't voice these hopes, we might not even be aware of them. They could be influencing how we act. And if we aren't aware of them, there is no chance that those around us will be aware of them as well. Which leads to the third reason. See, voicing our hopes and longings allows us to examine their roots, to investigate their underlying motivations. And it's in this place that we find my last claim, that Jesus' advent is the ultimate answer to all of our hopes and longings, no matter what they are. When we go to the root of our hopes and longings, the differences fall away. And we, say, we see that what we all really long for is a stable home, one we can find only in Jesus. Do you long for safety? We find that in Jesus. Do you long for inclusion, acceptance, and belonging? We find that in Jesus. Do you long for meaning and purpose? Let me tell you, we find that in Jesus. Do you long for healing and restoration? We find that in Jesus. And so let me ask you, what is the root of your longing, your deepest hopes? Voice it, examine it, study it, and know that you'll find the answer to that longing in Jesus. Let's pray together. Jesus, we thank you that you came. That you didn't just come to check out how things were going on earth, but God, that you made your home among us. That you took the initiative to uh, bring restoration. And so Jesus, as we um, take stock of the hopes and longings that we have as, as individuals, and even as a church, God, we pray that you would speak to us about the underlying motivations be, behind them. And God, we pray that, that as we consciously make that decision to submit these things to you, we, we pray that you would also show us how these 
motivations, how these hopes, how these dreams, how these longings are ultimately fulfilled by your coming. God, that we wouldn't run to other means or methods of of finding fulfillment, but that we would know and trust that you are our ultimate fulfillment. We love you and we trust you. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen.